How do you find God and can you find God? And is God playing this game with us, like this divine game of hide-and-go-seek where we're trying to find him, and he's hiding in one room, and then he says, I'm over here, and then he moves, and we go in there, and we can't find him, and we're so confused, and God's got this like divine belly laugh happening because we can't seem to find him, and we look so confused. Is that what's going on? Or, I'm kind of in a Star Wars thing right now, so, or... Are we trying to find God like Luke Skywalker is trying to find the force by looking at our feel, searching our feelings within us? Is God found deep within us or is God found outside of us? Is God in nature or is God outside of nature? Or is it like this? We have to reach this certain level of goodness. And so we work and we work and we work and we finally reached it and then poof, we find God. And why are we even searching for God? Where is this desire within us to try to find God coming from? And in seeking God, the question for us today is, are we seeking God to find God or are we seeking God because of what God can offer us? So we're in our series on sh called Shadows, and what we're saying is that anytime you see a shadow, it is proof that there is light. So each week what we're doing is looking at what are the proofs that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And this week, what we're looking at as is our wants. When we want something, when we are desperate to have something, why are we all of a sudden compelled to think of God and to go to him for help? Today, Jesus is exposing why we are really searching for God and if we really can or how we actually do find him. So we're in John 6, verse 41 through 59. It's up on the screen. Here you go. So the Jews grumbled about him, being Jesus, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. As it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. 
Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks on my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. First of all, Jesus wants us to see that we always go to God. Don't think about, don't think about actually eating Jesus' flesh and blood. You probably are distracted by that. Don't think about that. Here's what Jesus is getting at. He's trying to get us to see that we always go to God for the wrong reasons. He's saying, you're going to God, not because you want God, but because you want something that you think God can give you. You're not going to God because you delight in God. You're going to God because you're delighting in something more than God, and you think God can be the one who gets you what you're delighting in. And so look, look at what Jesus does. He's doing this all throughout John. I noticed that this week. So you go back to John 4. There's this woman at the well, and she's going up to Jesus, and she doesn't, necess- she doesn't really want Jesus at first. She wants what Jesus can give him. John 5, Jesus heals someone. And then almost right after, this guy's throwing Jesus under the bus. John 6 They see Jesus and they think, wow, look at all the stuff he's doing. Let's make him our king because he's going to make our life a bit better. And Jesus says, I'm not here to make your life a bit better. I'm here to make you into a whole new creation. He's saying, I'm the king of heaven, not the king of the earth. Both, actually. And then we see last week in verse 26 that people are going to him because he's just fed a whole bunch of people. And so they're going to him and they're thinking, okay, he can give us what we want. He can give us what we need. Using him. So look at what Jesus does every single time people come to him. Every single time people come to him like this, he flips it and he makes a claim. And he says, I'm greater than what you are seeking. He's saying, you want something, I'm greater than what you want. It's like this. God, Jesus is like this Lamborghini. And we're coming to him, and we're asking him for a Camry. Now, no offense if you drive a Camry. Camrys are great. They do their job. They get you from one place. But it's no Lamborghini, okay? And so Jesus is saying, you're coming to me a Lamborghini and you're asking me for a Camry. And he's saying, I'm a Lamborghini and you can just have me. He's saying, don't seek me to get something from me. Seek me because I'm the greatest thing that has ever happened to you. And this is the reason that the Jews are grumbling here. This is the reason why later they kill him because he's saying, I'm the greatest thing that has come into the world. What Jesus means by saying, I am the bread of life that has come down from heaven, is he's saying there's no one else like him. He is from heaven. He's the God of heaven and he has come down to dwell amongst us in the earth, not to give you food, but to give you himself. 
So I want you to see, can you guys see all these loaves of bread here? Okay, what Jesus is saying is each one of these loaves represents something that you want, something that you treasure, something that is important to you. And Jesus is saying, I'm one of these. And what keeps happening is you keep coming to me, but you're not coming to me because you want me. You're coming to me because you want these other loaves of bread and they, they're what you want. And I, I can be the one who gives you those. That's what he's saying. That's why we're coming to him for those reasons. Do you see that I mean, he's saying we're using him to get something else that we want. Now, do you see what we're doing here? We're treating God like a boss, really. There's this business exchange that happens. We're negotiating with him about our life. We're on our best behavior around him so that we will get what we want because we think, okay, if he sees us like a boss sees us and we're doing the, what we need to be doing as an employee, then we're going to be rewarded and we're going to get this treasure. We're going to get this money from him because he's the one who can give it to us. And the whole time, Jesus is saying, I'm not the boss. I'm the treasure. So we form this business relationship with God and we don't love him. We love what he can get us. We go to God because he's useful. And we try to leverage him and negotiate with him by being good, thinking, okay, if I'm on my best behavior, then I'm gonna be able to get what I want from him. All the while, God is saying the reason that you're unhappy is because you are using me instead of delighting in me. So look at your prayers. It's a great place to go. Look at your prayers. When you're praying, are you praying simply to delight in God? Or are you praying because of something that you delight in more than him that he can give you? So I want you to think about this one. This is, this is a tough one, and maybe not a lot of you, but, but take this, for example, physical pain. So if you're in physical pain, are you going to God desperate to experience him or desperate to have your pain alleviated? Now, both are good things, but what's more important? What Jesus is saying is that I'm more important than absolutely anything else. So no matter what your situation is, come to me like I'm of the most importance. It's a bold claim. This is why everybody gets so angry at him. Or, okay, moms, when you pray for your kids, who is the greater treasure? God? Some of you are laughing. God or your kids? Are you, so you say, well, can it be both? Yeah, yes, of course you're supposed to treasure your kids. I'm not up here saying don't treasure your kids, okay? So don't tell anybody that I said that. But what Jesus is saying is love me more than you love your kids. Now, why would he say that? Why is that so important to him? Here's why. Watch what this does. God is love. 
And if whatever you treasure the most, that's where you're going for life. That's where you're going to be able to be filled. And so if you're going to your kids to be filled, if you have kids, you know that you go and you love them and you love them and you love them and you love them and you just love them. And, but you're like, come on, what you got for me? And you just got to keep loving them. And they're really not giving you much back. But here's what with God, he's constantly pouring love into you because he is love. And then what that does is it actually fills you with love and now you're being filled instead of drained and you're actually able to love your kids more if you love God more than your kids because you're filled with love as opposed to being drained. See, when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, whoever believes in me has eternal life, here's what he's saying. He's talking about spiritual, spiritual things here, and he's saying that we're all spiritually dead, and whatever we treasure the most, that's the thing we go to try to get life. But he's saying it's not working. He's saying he is the only one who has come down from heaven that can give us this life. Other things are going to be able to make you feel like you have meaning, purpose, and value for a period of time. When you think of the things you're going to for meaning, purpose, and value, eventually they're going to let you down eventually they're going to start draining you of life. And it's because you're going to the wrong bread. All right, so go back to your prayers. Are you praying for your career as a greater treasure than God? Are you praying for material possessions as a greater treasure than God, like a car or a house or some type of lifestyle that you want? Getting into a certain college, is that the greater treasure than God? Happiness. Seeking happiness is a good thing. The Bible says we should do that. We should pray for that even. But are you seeking after happiness and using God to get it? Because what that means is happiness is more important than God, and then what happens is you never actually get happy because happiness is found in God alone. True happiness, lasting happiness, eternal happiness. Are you sad and just want God to take the sadness from you? So you go to him in prayer and you're desperate. What are you desperate for though? Are you desperate for alleviation from sadness or are you desperate for God? And so what God is saying is that if you're desperate for him more than you're desperate for alleviation from sadness, then you're actually gonna be alleviated from your sadness because he is enough and you have him and he's there constantly. He's not going anywhere. Okay, this one's gonna get all of us. If, if it hasn't gotten you yet, this one. Are you seeking to live a good life? Not because you love God, but because you love what he could give you. In other words, are you obeying God to get something from him? So you're probably doing this without realizing it. So sometimes I find myself obeying God so that I think in my mind, okay, God, if I obey you, then you're going to make the grove successful and you're going to make the people of the grove start growing. And so do you see what I'm doing here? I'm treasuring the success of the grove and I'm treasuring your growth more than I'm treasuring God. And you guys are like, oh, I'm, well, I'm kind of okay with that. That is a horrible thing. It's horrible for you and it's horrible for me. 
And it doesn't do anything for the glory of God. These wants can be all good things. The problem is we start trading the good things for God. The easiest trap to fall into is to take something that's good. The easiest trap for you to fall in right now is to take something that's good in your life and to elevate it to being ultimate. And we all do this. So many people, they say they're Christians because they think Christianity goes like this. If I'm good, then God's going to love me and then he's going to reward me. Reward me with what? With this great treasure that I have. And all the while, Jesus is saying, I'm the reward and no amount of good deed can earn me for you. And here's the real problem for us. Christianity is saying that we're never actually going to find God because we don't really want him. We always find what we treasure the most. And what our problem is, is that we can't seem to go to God for the right reasons. We come to God to get something from him more than we treasure than him. And we can't seem to help it. We can't seem to stop doing it. We keep doing it over and over and over again. And we're realizing we do it, but we can't stop. And we stumble finding God because we don't know how to want him. It's going against our nature. We simply can't want God. And so we can't find him. So now what? Are we just left to not find God, to constantly be searching for him and never able to find him, eternally feeling this lostness? No. And here is why. Because God wants you. He's come to draw you to him so that he might change your wants. It says here that he is the bread of life that has come down from heaven to come and find you. And then it says that the father is drawing you to him. We're very much so running from God, wanting things more than we want him, so using him to get what we want. But here's what happens. When we go to him for all the wrong reasons, we go to him and he removes the veil and he shows us that he's the Lamborghini. And we say, oh oh man, have you been here this whole time? And he's like, yeah, I've been here the whole time. I actually wasn't hiding in some other room playing this trick on you. I was here, right here in the open this whole entire time, ready to be found by you, right in the open. Some people will spend years and years and years in church and you can tell that it just has not yet happened. That they haven't been drawn in yet, that the veil hasn't been removed They haven't yet built their life around Christ and they're still using him, not seeing him as the true bread, but something else as a bread in their life. But then all of a sudden it clicks. 
And for the first time, they take the first bite of the true bread. And they say, how have I been missing it for so long? People usually say something like this. I finally understood. I didn't realize this before, but I finally understood that Christianity isn't about following a bunch of rules. It's about following Christ because I treasure him more than anything else in the world. And so I am so infatuated with him that I'm following after him. And I want to live the way that he wants me to live, not because I have to, but because I want to, but because he's my treasure. So how does this happen? How does this happen? How do people all of a sudden start wanting God? Here's how. He gets you to want him by drawing you to him through an irresistible grace. Hear that? It's by an irresistible grace. He's showing you, he's showing you this. You didn't deserve him, but he came to you anyways. He forgave you, not because you were worthy, but simply because he chose to do it. And that forgiveness that you receive, it starts wooing you to him. It makes you treasure him. It makes you build your life around him. When you finally see this, when you are being drawn by his grace, you desire to be with him. Why? Because you have tasted his grace. So you know when you just enjoy someone? Like you don't need to get anything from them. You're just like, hey, let's go to dinner. And you know what? I'm even going to buy it. I'm going to spend money. I'm going to give so I can spend time with you, not get something from you. I just want to be with you. Let's go have some dinner. I'm going to buy. You just enjoy that person. To go and spend time with God, here's how you can do it. You, get, you go to the Bible, but you don't go to it to study it. You go to it to experience God, and you go to it and you say, God, draw me into yourself. How? Through this irresistible grace. Draw me through this grace. Reveal this grace. As I'm looking at the Bible, as I'm reading it, God, just show me that this is real and that your grace isn't a lie, but it's true, and it's here for me. The sign that you are eating from the true bread is that you are hungry for it all the time. You love hearing about God's grace to you. You never say, oh, we're talking about the gospel again. Why are we talking about the gospel again? The true bread of the gospel of Christ is like a song to you. And the song does not get old. Does coming to church feel sweet to you? Do you hear all of that Jesus has done for you and you just go, oh, I feel so much better now? If so, that's a sign that, you're, that you've been drawn in. That's a sign that you're getting it. If not, then you're probably still eating from the wrong bread. The best thing 
that I know to tell you to do is to just get desperate with God. To just get a bit desperate and say, God, just draw me in. Just reveal yourself. Show me you. Show me this grace. Okay, so right now, I want to ask you to go to God and ask him to reveal this grace that is absolutely irresistible. To ask him to draw you to himself. So just, I mean, do it for real. Just do that. But you've got to be a little bit desperate too. And don't go with skepticism. Go thinking, I, I really am about to experience God. So that's what I want to do right now. I want to take you in to the grace so that you might experience it for the first time or for the millionth time because that's what we all need. What I need every single day is to feel and to know and to understand the grace of God to me because when I do, then it draws me to him. Otherwise, I don't want to spend time with him. I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I don't want to spend time with you, God, today. What do I need? I need to hear about his grace so that it will draw me in. Otherwise, I don't want him. All right, so... I want to try to take you into that grace. So, here it is. You've been using God for a long time now. And you've been going to him to get something from him that you want more than him. But then, something's different one time or maybe the millionth time. You come to him, and you find, you realize, all this other bread that I've been going to, it's draining life from me. It's breaking me. It's killing me. But there's something different about him. He doesn't break you. He doesn't break you. He's broken for you. This is the grace. Jesus knows that without him, we're spiritually dead. And everything else at best slows that spiritual death down. Listen, the only way for Jesus to give you life is for him to be broken and the life that is in him to be poured out into you. The only thing that can give you eternity is that which is eternal. And so that which is eternal, the bread of life has come down from heaven and he has come down to be broken for you so that the life that is in him can be poured into you. And so Jesus Christ on the cross is snapped into two. So that the life that is in him can be poured into you. But if he just dies and that's it, then essentially what that leaves us with is a life without the greatest treasure forever. But he rises from the grave. So he 
who is eternal comes in and he is into the world and he's broken for you so that he might give eternal life to you by pouring it into you. But then he breaks through the grave so that now we have this great treasure on into eternity forever. And that is what the great Christian hope is. And you will never, ever, ever want him until you see that he is the only bread that is broken for you.